Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. This is Rob Spee, your host and founder of Channel Journeys. Thank you for listening. This is episode 47. We are getting very close to the 50 mark. And thanks for my sponsor of Channel Journeys, the Channel Institute. They are very aligned with my mission of expanding the channel profession. One of their channel certification courses that I've been listening to is the Strategic Channel Sales Certification. This is an excellent course for new channel managers and really any of you looking to up your channel game. It teaches you all of the things you need to know, the channel fundamentals. One of the sections that I really like is on joint business planning. That's something that I'm very focused on right now. And my experience is that very few channel managers are trained on conducting joint business planning, what to include in the plan, how to run an effective planning session, who to include, and what to do after building the plan. This course also talks about building a joint value proposition, which is hugely important and really the foundation of any good business plan. So I've got a special offer for you, our Channel Journeys listeners, for this and all Channel Institute courses, and I will share that at the end of today's show, and you can also find it in our show notes on my website. All right, we have got a great show today. One of the best parts of being a channel leader is actually getting out and talking with your partners. So today we're going to do just that. My guest is a service provider that is focused on helping small businesses succeed with CRM. His name is Peter Wolf, and he's the founder and president of Azamba Consulting Group, and he's a big fan of this show. Thank you, Peter. He's got a super interesting story for us on how he transformed his consulting practice into a subscription-based as-a-service business, and he's a partner with his own channel, too. So great lessons here for both vendors and partners alike. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Peter. Good morning or good afternoon, I should say. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the show. It's, I've been looking forward to this. As you know, I mostly interview the channel chief vendor side and not so often the partners, but you're actually going to give us the partner perspective. So you are the president and I believe the founder of Azamba Consulting Group. That's right. I've been doing this for, well, I've been focused on CRM for about 20 years now. And I started Azamba in 2007 to get really granular with CRM. That's kind of my journey that I've been on. I've worked with both Sage Software and Microsoft as a partner in their programs. Okay. And you've been in the consulting world for most or all of your career? All of my career, yeah. Started at the tender age of 21, right out of college, and just haven't looked back. I I love consulting because it gives me a chance to meet with all sorts of people, all sorts of business problems, and apply my skills and the technology to solve their problems. Awesome. And at at Azamba, what what market are you what market segment are you focused on from CRM perspective? Yeah, so we focus on the SMB space and really depending on who you're talking to, SMB is defined very loosely. So the way we look at it is if a customer or a prospect needs a hundred seats of CRM or fewer, that's who we focus on. And the weird thing about that definition for us is you could be a company with 10,000 employees, but only need 30 licenses of CRM because you only have 30 people in your sales and marketing and service department. So we kind of have a weird definition of it, but basically it's a manageable size group. That's who we like to help. I like to deal with 
the owners, the people that can make decisions happen. I've worked with big companies before, love them to death, but they're just not for me. I don't like the bureaucracy. I don't like all the decision-making that needs to be done. I like to work where I see a direct impact very quickly for my customers. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And geographically, do you work nationwide or do you have a specific region that you focus on? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing that's interesting about us is 90% of our business is we have a partner channel as well. So it's a partner to partner services program where we help IT partners, accounting partners bring CRM to their customers. So it's a great way for those partners to advise and assist their customers with these uh, CRM questions and CRM implementations, and we do all the work for them. Um, so because of that, we do work coast to coast in both U.S. and Canada. We've got partners all across U.S. and Canada. Interesting. You know, as a vendor, we always talk about, you know, what percentage of our business has a partner involved or is driven by the channel. How do you look at it? Do you look at a percentage of your business or is all of your business attached with a, a partner? Yeah, it's really funny. We do really great work with our partners. So we have a very customer-focused approach over here. So customers are always at the pinnacle of, of our aspirations, but our partners are close second. So 90% of our business is partner-fed business. We still have our own direct business. We do a lot of blogging and content creation, but really our focus is going through the partner channel. That's awesome. So my channel partner is channel first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So even though I'm a channel partner, I'm also... I'm a big believer in the channel. I, I was just talking to a customer today who's replacing their CIO with someone who wants to do everything in-house. It That can work, but in my opinion, channel partners have a lot to add to the equation. They see a lot of different scenarios. They can bring the expertise of not just the technology, but applying that technology to the business needs. I think you miss that when you exclude the channel from your, your conversations. That you know, Obviously, I'm biased, but that's just my belief. I'm a strong proponent of the channel. So... Recently, I had Anne McClellan on the podcast from TSIA, and, and she's starting up a new research practice about as-a-service channel optimization. And I was really interested to chat with you as a partner who's gone through your own transformation from the old on-prem model to as-a-service. I wanted to explore that with you and, and find out more about your journey, You know, why you decided to make that switch and, and what that was like for you. What were some of the challenges you faced in, in that transformation? That's a really big question. I will say for me, part of it was just I have a general distaste for hourly billing. It's just cumbersome for everybody. So what would happen, Rob, is we would go and work on a customer account. And you know we said something would take 40 hours. And with technology, sometimes 40-hour projects become 30-hour projects. Sometimes they become 80-hour projects. And I just felt like the debating over the hours wasn't really customer serving. And so I said to myself, look, how do I get in alignment with my customers about what their outcomes are? I believe that's more important today than it ever has been. But it was important 15 years ago when I first started down this path of fixed price and fixed services for a fixed, you know, a fixed delivery model. And I think that for me, a lot of it was just the distaste of the hourly model because it put me on the opposite side of the of the page from my customer. I'd rather sit side by side with you and look out at the future of what we can do and where we can go together versus being at odds over how we're going to get there with the hours. So when you launched Azamba, was it in the new more MSP model or was the transformation take place after you started? When I launched Azamba, it was coming from another practice where we did hourly billing. And so my first few years, we were doing hourly, but as soon as I could, I switched over to the results-based focus. 
And it was difficult. You know, the funny thing about making the switch is I think there's really two elements. One is having the courage to just say, this is where I want to be. It's very easy to sell hours because I can just say to you, oh, Rob, I think that's going to take 24 hours, right? And then what it actually comes in at, then we can debate about that after you've been billed. I just don't like that approach, but it's very easy to do. And a lot of partners that I talk to, their biggest thing is, well, that's what the customers expect. Well, the customers expect what we give them, right? No one expected an iPhone until Steve Jobs put it out there. And so I think we can deliver a better experience with a results-based focus, with fixed fees. We actually even go as far as putting a money-back guarantee around it. And we'll get to that hopefully in a minute or two. But the biggest challenge for me was the existing customers, because there is some truth in the customers expect this. So we had trained our customers to expect the hours for dollars model. And so getting them to convert over to this fixed fee subscription-based approach, those customers were actually the hardest. My new customers didn't even bat an eye. They said, yep, that sounds good. In fact, they like how we present our fixed scope, fixed services as a subscription model. It's just so funny. We we're all the same, right? Human nature. We don't like change. So yeah. whatever we're used to, whether it's good or bad, we just get used to it. It's like, hey, don't don't make me change. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I think it, the funny thing about it is it goes for the technology professionals too. We're in this tech space, right? And we, we're used to this constant change and tech changes so fast now, but we all get comfortable in our ruts. And it's hard for us to say, it goes back to what I said. The first thing is have the courage to change to a new model have the courage to say, this model really isn't serving my customers as well as I think it is, and have the courage to change it. That's hard. There's also another challenge from a vendor that's switching from the old model to the new. Anne talked about it. She called it swallowing the fish, which is that classic, you know, revenue and and profit curve that that you see when a company's converting from the old, hey, big upfront payments to now, you know, small monthly payments or annual payments. Did you as a partner have that financial challenge? Oh, yeah. The biggest challenge, I think, for the vendors, but also for the larger IT partners is, you know, compensation plans, revenue plans. They all get thrown out of whack because you're changing the big fat projects with upfront spend to these the pay over time model. And so instead of getting $30 to sell the DVD today, you're getting 50 cents in residuals to put it on a streaming service. And so it takes a while to to get that full compensation back to replace what you've lost with that upfront. But what happens is over time, your recurring revenue will start to smooth over your uh, financials so that you can make better decisions with less stress and strain and everything becomes incremental instead of disruptive for your revenue model. How long does that take? Is there, I imagine every experience is different, but what should partners expect? How long that process, that migration should take? It's going to vary. So If you have a heavy new customer acquisition model, because like I said, in my experience, those new customers will buy into the new model first and fastest. The nice thing about it is you can keep your old business going with a transactional base to supplement that revenue. It's not quite, you know, you're not just going to turn a switch off and turn off those transactional customers tomorrow. And so you can ease into it, but it really depends on how fast you're getting those new customers on that new model. I would guess anywhere from four to seven years, though. And I know that's probably depressing to a lot of people, but... Wow, that's a lot longer than I was expecting. Yeah, well, it depends. Like I said, it depends on how fast your marketing engine is, if you're getting new customers quickly. But you got to remember, so we used to do upfront projects for 20, 30, 40,000 for a small business CRM. And now it's about a third of that. So it's that, what's the expression, the the slow nickel versus the fast dime? Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. So that took quite a while. And what what role, if any, did your vendor partners play in this? Because there's a lot of conversation and, and we talk about, well, what role should we play? How can we help our partners make this transformation? Did you look to your vendors for that kind of a help? Well, not really. I think one of the challenges when I made this shift was I was kind of on the bleeding edge of this business model and there weren't a lot of people doing it. A true story, I'm I'm part of this group called the Verisage Group. They're a think tank around fixed price, value pricing, these kind of models. And I I was in one of their workshops in 2008. And I'll never forget this. I was so I so drank the Kool-Aid and I was so excited about this new model. I asked at the end of the session, they asked if there's any questions. I said, what happens when everyone's doing this? How will I how will I differentiate myself? The people that were leading the group just looked at each other and said, you won't have to worry about that <laughs> because it just it, people just aren't absorbing it as quickly as they, they could. The number one thing that the vendors did was they started promoting the software. So I sell Sage software and Microsoft software. And when they started doing this subscription model, that helps align the customer's thoughts uh, around that kind of pay on a subscription basis for the software. So it was easier for me to align my services with the software. And I think that more than anything, I don't think it was something intentional they did because they themselves wanted to tap into the recurring revenue model and streamline, you know, or I'm sorry, stabilize their own revenue stream. That's why they did it. But it was an inadvertent way. It really helped me because it's easier for a customer to understand my model when they're buying the software the same way. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think, you know, and myself included as a vendor, we get focused on our own business model and how we're we're as a service. But I don't know that we're really talking as much with our partners about their service model, whether it's, you know, time and materials or a big fixed up front price, or are they doing a more of a subscription model themselves? And we probably all need to be paying more attention to that. I think so. I think one of the reasons, the ways we connected is, you know, I am a big partner to partner guy. I'm a big channel guy. And uh, I really admired your podcast. You're, you know, you mentioned you had, uh, Anne, was it Anne from TSI? Yeah, Anne McClelland. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the most fundamental things that helped me out was there's a series of four books that the TSIA group has put out. And if you read them in order, they really spell out a game plan. The thing about the books are they're more of a framework where they talk about these changes, why they're important, how to make the transition. They talk about the fish, you know, how the revenue adjusts and it takes a while. They also talk about the next stage of where we're all going. Their last book in the series, I think, was XAAS, which was, yeah. you know, have you had a chance to read those? Those were just phenomenal to me. I have, but I've got a terrible memory. I need to go back and, and read them again. Well, there's a lot going on. And so my copy's annotated. So kudos to Ann and her team for putting those out there. But those have been very instrumental in helping formulate my thoughts. I recommend any partner that wants to start this journey, go pick up a copy of all four of those books. And read them in order because they do build upon each other. I think really where all this is driving from is not a desire for vendors or people like myself to shift. It's because the customers are leading us on this journey. So the customers now, and I don't know if this is just a dumb opinion of mine, Rob, but I feel that the internet has finally caught up and has become part of our daily lives. And so today's customers are very demanding. If you're not serving them the way they want around their results, they will find someone who can. And so we're in this, what I call this new customer experience economy, where we need to provide a consistent, high quality experience to those customers. The old model of transactional sales, where you bill for every five minute increment or whatever you bill for, that puts customers off. 
if you sit down with them and talk about their goals and where they want to be with the technology, that's where their heads are right now. And if we're not doing it, they will find someone who can. So I think all these changes that I'm going through, that the vendors are going through, the software and hardware folks are going through, I think it's driven because these customers just are so demanding now and we got to adapt to that. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Peter. And I think that that's required to win the business, but also it can bring you, I believe, bigger deals and shorter sales cycles if you're having those business outcome conversations. 100% agree. I really think that the IT partners who haven't really woken up to this reality and they keep doing things because that's what the way they've done them for 20 years, they're putting themselves in a very difficult place. And let's not even talk about exit strategies, right? Because there is no exit strategy really for a 12, 15, 20 person IT firm that sells transactional because there's no recurring value there. Maybe some hardware and software maintenance renewals, maybe a certain percent of the transactional business that you've conducted over the last year. But with a recurring revenue business, that's stable. That tells me where your business is going to be. It lets me know what your profit margins are. It lets me know where you're going. That's why a lot of these vendors, it works for the customers, it works for the vendors, it works for the channel partners. You just have to have the courage to adapt. Right, right. So two things. One is that transformation helps you with your customers. Second, it helps your valuation for a potential exit. How have you structured your business, your go-to-market model to align to those two? to maximize both from the customer perspective and your business valuation? Well, so our go-to-market model, so we used to sell these traditional CRM implementation projects, right? Where you'd pay us a bunch of money up front for a certain set of tasks. Usually we'd tell you it was an estimated hours. We would give you a timesheet that reported and reconciled what, how much time we spent and you get a bill. Now what we do is we actually sell a, we call it a, CRM success plan. And it's a monthly subscription model. So if you are a new prospect to me, one of the things I would tell you is, hey, CRM projects have a notorious failure rate. 40 to 70% of projects fail. And that, what that means is after 12, 18 months, the software's back on the shelves or lawyers have been involved or just, just general frustrations, aggravation with no positive results. And you know, for me, for my business, people come to me to get CRM because they're experiencing pains. So the loss of the money is one thing, but it's the loss of time that's really a killer, for, especially for the SMB market that I serve. If you lost 18 months where you went down a dead end and you had to restart, that's a serious problem for most of our customers. So I think one of the things that we do now is we say, instead of doing this one-time implementation where we part ways after 40 days, 50 days, 60 days, however long it takes you and your team to get up and mobilize on CRM, we sell the subscription. We, we make it mandatory for the first 12 months because what we want to do is say, Rob, have your team call us anytime you stub your toe. We want to make sure anything that's stopping you from being completely successful with your CRM implementation, we want to identify that quickly. We want you to not have to worry about a bill coming. We want you to have be tapped in with us on a, both a technical support, but also a business advising and coaching status so that we can help advise you out of those rough spots that you will inevitably run into. So that, that's kind of how we do it. Does that make sense? It does. So it sounds like there's a one-year minimum when they get started with you. And are there different levels, different tiers that they can sign up for? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the good, better, best. So depending on your budget, depending on how much support and needs that you have, like how much you want to rely on us versus do it yourself, we have different plans at different price levels. And it is a one-year minimum, but we're kind of an odd bird, Rob. We have an anytime cancellation and we have a money-back guarantee. So if someone really felt we weren't serving them correctly, 
they could cancel. We're not locking people into to the contracts. What is interesting though for us is, and I tell customers going into this because a lot of them say, oh, after a year I can drop off. The answer is yes, you can drop off anytime actually. We prefer you make that commitment to yourself and to the program that you stay on for 12 months because otherwise you'll find that you've lost your investment. Uh, you'll be in that that horrible statistic of the 40 to 70% of failures. That's our experience that we've seen. But the key is, is that 95% of our customers renew year after year. They stay on the program. And the reason why is because we just keep delivering tremendous value. And our mission here is just every year to put more value into our programs to make almost like golden handcuffs where the customers attached to us, it's the handcuffs of gold. So it's a, it's a beautiful right. thing. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So now you're measuring yourself just like a SaaS company would of churn and, and net retention. Yeah, those are our KPIs. We really focus on churn, retention, our program called OnTrack, the OnTrack Serum Success System. We measure on a weekly basis our net monthly revenue and number of customers on the program. So we've got a nice little chart that goes up and to the right that shows the recurring revenue that's steadily growing over time. And for the customers, it's a it's a win too. So this is not just us serving our own needs to grow our revenue model. What we do is we amortize the cost of certain services across our whole customer base so that a, a small business customer might not want to spend $10,000 for a customization. But you know, with hundreds of customers, you can do that customization, offer it up to everybody in the plan. And it helps us because it it keeps them on the program year over year. And they get this free goodie, this free add-on to their service. And so it just it's a virtuous upward cycle is what I call it. So for a lot of vendors selling into the SMB, even in the as a service model, one of the impediments to bringing on a, an SMB customer is the cost of implementation, which can be equal or more to the cost of the software subscription. It sounds like with your model, you're spreading that cost out through your subscription model. Yeah, we do have a little bit of a cheat. We do have an upfront fee. And the reason why we do that, believe it or not, is because we want customers, when it comes to CRM, we need the customers to commit because no matter what we do, unless they're committed, they will not be successful. So what we do is we put that little barrier there in the front to say, hey, are you fully committed to this? Because if they're not going to spend the, it's just a few thousand dollars, it's not a huge commitment, but it says to us, they're serious and they're ready to go. That's on top of that monthly subscription. It's like a, a kickstart fee. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. You had mentioned in a conversation we had earlier about adopting the Amazon Prime model. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So one of the things that's interesting about the way I look at this is I don't look at what other service IT services companies are doing. I look at how other businesses with subscription businesses operate. And one of the things that's really exciting about what Amazon does is they continue to drive the needle. If you're a Prime member, yeah, you get the free shipping, but then you also get some music, you get books, you get movies, and they continue to drive extra value for their customers, their subscribers. And that's kind of the, uh, the mentality that we've adopted. How do we every year, every quarter, add something new to the mix, keep it fresh and exciting, but also keep increasing the value of what we offer. Our goal is as we do these things, Rob, what we're doing is we're building a portfolio of services and we sell it at the same price for new customers. It's just going to present this amazing, we call it a wall of value to a new customer. And it also presents that same wall to keep the customers in. It's almost like an economic moat because we say, look at all these things that you have. And so a customer may not be happy with a certain piece of our equation, but all the other pieces add up to be this huge value that they they stick around. 
and they give us their feedback, which is critical for us because we're always listening to our customers' feedback to improve. Now, Amazon does occasionally bump up the price of their subscription to cover that added cost of that added value, I assume. Is that something you do too? Do you do like an annual increase? We don't at this time. So if anything, we decrease for year two because what we found is that our customers don't need as much services year two. They still need firmly committed to the fact that they need an expert team on call, but they don't use us as much. So we actually lower the price for year two. I hope someday we'll be at the point where we're like Amazon, where we can do annual increases. But for now, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with just keeping that high retention rate. Yeah. When you do the math, they just, I mean, they raise a, a dollar and it's just phenomenal the amount of revenue that that represents. Oh, it, it's crazy. Like every time Netflix raises their price as a stockholder of Netflix, pe- you know, people complain and they, the stock drops a little bit. And I'm like, no, you guys don't get it. They have like a, a zillion customers. They just raised it by a dollar. That's a zillion times 12 a year for annual revenue. It's yeah. crazy. It, it's huge. Yeah. So going back to your valuation as a company and business needs, there's a lot of talk about partners developing their own IP, their own intellectual property. Is that an area that you're working on as well? Yeah, I think it's essential. I think in an ideal world, channel partners are verticalized. So they speak the language of a specific set or niche of, of customers. There's always opportunity to configure the software or the, te- or the hardware solutions to fit that niche. But then there's this additional opportunity to create intellectual property, add-ons, extensions, protocols, best practices. It might even just be a series of videos. Um, I'm a big fan of that approach. And so we do it on a more horizontal basis right now. So what we do is we take the Sage CRM product, the Microsoft Dynamics 365 for sales product, and those are great products out of the box. But we add little elements to it that extend the usability, make the user experience better and stronger for the benefit of our customers. I think that's huge because it adds a third pillar into our, um, we have three pillars to our on-track program. Support, I think that's the table stakes. To me, support isn't sexy. It's not that exciting. Advising and coaching, that's where we really start to add our value because we tell our customers how to use the software to maximize the return on investment. And then these extensions. So these extensions will take their experience and make it even better for them. And so for a lot of our customers, even if they don't call as much for tech support, the extensions and the device are huge for them and they couldn't live without it. And you said those are still horizontal. You haven't verticalized any of those yet. Yeah, we have not verticalized. We do a lot of work with distribution manufacturing. I think probably because they're such a great fit for CRM solutions, that professional services. But we have a few reports that we've written. So we've got a few industry-specific solutions, but we haven't really gone very deep in that. But these extensions still are you know, intellectual property We also have a series of training protocols, a library of videos and best practices and advice. And so we kind of have a structured methodology that's been proven out hundreds of times that we guide our customers through with implementation. So we've kind of come at this a few different ways. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. At at OutSystems, where we offer a really a horizontal, low-code application development environment platform, and what I say is the partners are the vertical to our horizontal. Yeah. Yeah. We have a ton of interest for them to build those kind of niche vertical solutions. I think that's smart. And the good vendors are doing that, right? Like with your tool set, with the automation tools, I think those are hot right now. And then what I think the clear play for channel partners who really want to differentiate is to pick a vertical niche that they have a preponderance in and just go for it. One of the double-edged swords about our model with partner to partner is we kind of 
are forced and no one's ever forced, right? But we've chosen to make it easy for our partners to do business with us. So if a partner that sends me two leads in my vertical comes to me with a lead that's outside of my vertical, it's hard for me to say no to that partner, not because I'm fear of loss of the business, but fear of undermining the relationship with that partner. So I don't want to say no to my partners and leave them hanging where they need to go find a CRM partner that serves that vertical. So that's kind of why we have just gone whole hog on this, the horizontal approach. Is it also harder in the SMB space to go vertical? I don't know. I think a good vertical solution, what, what's nice about a vertical solution, I'm sure you know this, is like what happens is it's no more dialing for dollars. The customers over time will start to find you if you're doing it right. You'll be everywhere they go. You'll be at their trade shows. You'll be invited to speak. You'll write articles in their journals or on their websites. And they'll start to find you over time. And so I think that's true of small businesses and enterprise. Yeah. You're a fan of TSIA and you've read all the books there. Are you, have you adopted that layer, land adopt, expand, renew model in your own practice? Yeah. So with CRM, it goes hand in hand, right? So land and expand is a common uh, age old thing for CRM. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that still strikes me is just really unfortunate in our industry is we still encounter customers who have tried adopting CRM and they failed. And when we dig deeper, we find out that their consulting firm, and I hate to say it, Rob, but they did them wrong. So they'll come in and say, oh, you need everything in the kitchen sink. It's going to be six figures, if not closer to seven. And it's going to take two and a half years before you see a return on investment. Our model is completely the opposite. We're, we, we have this approach we call it crawl, walk, run. Not very innovative, I admit, but um, that it kind of spells out our philosophy. What we like to do is get our customers up and running with the basics of CRM quickly as possible, help them stabilize, understand how the tool works, and then we can start talking about heavier configurations or even customization. And what that crawl phase looks like, it's different for everybody. You may need a certain report for your system to be worth anything. So we'll obviously we'll do that for you in that first phase, but as much as possible, we push back and say, let's keep this scope tight. Let's keep the calendar timeframe short and let's make sure that everyone's tasks are clearly identified and we get to this goal and get you using the basics as soon as possible. Then we expand. So we have these things called boosters. So if you're one of our customers, we would tap you in with what we call a concierge. That person would talk with you, make sure that you are being served properly, let you know that if you have any problems, let us know. And we'll start to get to know your business, your needs. And then we'll say, oh, hey, Rob, you said you're going to a trade show. Well, we have a optimized CRM for trade shows booster package. It's a fixed fee. You can purchase that and you know it'll help you get the most out of your technology investment with CRM when you go to that trade show and you get the better results if you follow this protocol that we've established. So that's kind of what we do with our land and expand. We're trying to package up even our expand opportunities to be you know, off the shelf kind of packaged set of services and, and intellectual property. Man, I, I love what you're doing, Peter. We got to teach you low code development because I would love to have you as a partner with that business model. Yeah, I, we're real, real fans of low code developer. You know, it's, it's funny, Rob, I used to be a hardcore developer. I've run like, you know, $6 million projects over multiple years back in the 90s. So I'm a hardcore nerd developer. But now that I'm more on the sales side over here in the partner development side, I love the no code. I love what you guys are doing. Obviously, Microsoft has its own version of this, but yep. these tools are very much in alignment with my own beliefs, which is let's put the power in the hands of the customers 
and let's get it out of the ivory towers of these wizards, these development wizards, and nothing against any of your listeners who are technical experts. The world still needs the technical experts, but let's take all this stuff that could be configured and drag and drop, and let's let the users go crazy with this stuff. And let's let them seize the power of these, you know, these automation tools. It's just an amazing time to be alive and to be uh, in this tech space. Yeah, it really is. When you see what people are able to do today with all the different technologies, it's awesome. Well, Peter, we've talked a lot about technology and your business. How about on the personal side? What, what do you like to do outside of work? This is going to sound really cheesy and corny, but I actually really like my job. I, one of the things that I did when I started this business was I said, I'm going to start this business and I'm going to do, I'm going to try to build it. So I only do the things I like to do. <laughs> and <laughs> as the founder and the owner, it, I can do that. And so I have found great capable people around me that can do the stuff that I don't like to do. I also am pretty fast if a customer is abusive to our people. And unfortunately, sometimes people are a little bit more demanding than reasonable. And so we try to only have the best customers. The, the funny thing about my model is because it's a money back guarantee. I'm very choosy as who who do we pick up as a customer. So we are only interested in customers that are going to be successful and be great customers to work with, whether they have a unique challenge that we're interested in, or we just think that they're going to be great people, you know, to, to work with. So we're pretty, I've built a hobby for myself as well as a business. Well, yeah, that's very admirable. What's that's that phrase that saying about if you do what you love, you'll I'm going to slaughter it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. If, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think I'm I'm at this point. I, <laughs> I, I do. I do have a 14 year old son who, if you, if I think you said you had you have children. Yeah, two daughters. Yeah. Yeah. So you know the great thing about the 14 year old is that you just see the the hope for the future and you see all the wonderful potential. But then you also get real lessons in how to build your own character when you get the teenage responses or lack of responses. So it's always a lesson in how to how to deal with people. And on my worst day, I've never had a customer or employee that's been saltier or worse to deal with than my my son. But on the other hand, <laughs> on his best days, he's, you know, sweet and wonderful and it really gives you hope and optimism for the future. Yep. Yep. Those are the joys of parenthood. Well come on, Peter, you you must take a vacation once in a while. Yeah, I do. I'm a big believer in recharging the battery. So I do take downtime. You know, I, I like to read a lot. I read a lot of business books. Again, it's probably boring. I, I read a lot of science fiction. It really stokes my imagination. I'm really a big sci-fi nerd uh, as far as movies and books. So those are some of my hobbies there. Awesome. And you mentioned another book to me, Subscribed. Oh, Yeah from the guy from Zora. So that was a really interesting book. It's a fast read, but I encourage anybody to go out and read it. It kind of lays out the business case on why IT vendors, but also channel partners and really any business should start thinking in the ways of how do we change our traditional, we're selling this good, this asset to how can we help our customers subscribe to it? I, I believe firmly that customers want to focus on what they do best, what's their special sauce and technology needs to stop being an event and it needs to be like going to the faucet and turn on your faucet to get a glass of water. That's what people want from their technology so they can focus on what they do best. And the subscription services and subscription hardware, like, have you seen this thing, Rob, where Porsche now has a subscription service where you can spend X amount of dollars per month and you can get whatever car you want whenever you want it. You can just go and say, hey, I want, you know, to pick up this car. 
no problem, sir. Come on in. And you just, you don't have to worry about maintenance. You don't have to worry about storage. You just go get your car and you go. Wow. I have not seen that. Yeah. It's really cool. And that's kind of, I think where the future is going is let's become more like a utility where the customers can just count on us. We become dependable and we help them do what they want to be doing, not worrying about servers and CRM technology. No, they're worried about their reaching their business goals. Remember they used to see bumper stickers on old beat up cars and it said, my other car is a Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I was thinking of another bumper sticker. My Uber is a Porsche. Oh God. That's funny. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to dream of having a Porsche and even a Ferrari, but as I got older, I'm actually a very frugal person. So I'm, I'm sitting here driving a almost 20 year old Prius. So that's, that's how I roll, man. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing no, wrong with that. No. Well, Peter, this, this has been fantastic. Anything that I didn't ask you about that you were hoping to, to mention? No, I, I'd say there's a lot of challenges ahead for all of us. You know, I think that we're just at the start of this subscription economy. If someone's listening to this and they're disillusioned or they're, they're like, oh my gosh, it's just so much to absorb. Just start simple, you know, read those books with the TSIA group, read, subscribe, understand why this is being driven by customers. And I think it's important that all the listeners realize that if they don't change, they're going to be left behind here. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year, but very soon here, because this is where customers want to go. And for the vendors that listen to your program, I would just encourage them to loop in some of their top, more innovative partners to understand their model, but also the partners that are struggling to a lot of the Microsoft events. And I'm always still surprised how many folks still haven't embraced the cloud. And it's neither, you know, it's, it's nothing that we can control, but there's, it's that fear of the unknown that stops most of us from being brave. And I think that both vendors and channel partners need to, to work together and we can all learn together to how to serve the customers best. Well, that is a fantastic close, Peter. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. And thank you for being so transparent on your business model and sharing that with everyone. If people want to reach out to you, are you open to that, like on LinkedIn to connect with you and maybe chat further? Oh, yeah. Hit me up on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'm always happy to talk to partners. I go to about 15 plus events, industry events a year. So I'm always happy to meet up at different events and and share my ideas. Hey, I'm not perfect. A lot of my ideas are dumb. (laughs) So just take it, take it for what it's worth, Rob. But I can share with you my own personal journey and how it's worked out for me. Well, that's excellent. Peter, thank you again and best of luck. I'm, I know you're going to be hugely successful with Azamba with that business model and your, your focus on the customer. Yeah. And Rob, thanks for doing what you do. I really love the podcast. So keep it up. All right. I will. Thanks a lot. You have a great one. Okay. You too. All right. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for sharing how you swallowed that fish. And thanks again to the Channel Institute for sponsoring our show and for the special offer. Just go to channelinstitute.com and you'll get an immediate 10% discount off any course just by entering the discount code JOURNEYS2020 at checkout. I'll also add the offer to the show notes and links from today's show at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ47. Be sure to subscribe to Channel Journeys wherever you listen so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're enjoying the show, can you do me a big favor? Please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back in two weeks with another great guest. Until then, have an awesome Channel Journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, 
please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.